Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Once when he was vice president and I was talking to him about something, he didn't like the way I was explaining it. And he said, go out there and explain that to my administrative assistant. When Joe Biden was vice president, he wanted the economy explained to him like an everyday Joe. Like he forced me to go outside and try to, and she was like, hey, literally, this literally work. happened. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, Jared, I'm trying to get my work done here. Could you leave me alone? And I'm like, he wanted me to come explain to you. And now as president, Biden has the same economic advisor and a whole different set of problems. I'm Ryan Lizza, and this is Playbook Deep Dive. Inflation is the economic nightmare, keeping Biden's advisors up in the middle of the night. What keeps you up at night and what do you, you wake up worrying about in the morning? I'll tell you, I sleep like a baby. I wake up screaming every two hours. <laughs> Old John McCain line. <laughs> For a long time now, dating all the way back to the Obama administration, Biden has been listening to the same guy. My name is, uh, keep forgetting. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> uh, my name is Jared Bernstein. Jared Bernstein. I am a member of President Biden's Council of Economic Advisors. He has the president's ear. So what's he whispering into it? And will his strategy work? Hi, Ryan, and thanks for inviting me. Let's start with the negatives. You know, knowing that you're, every president is kind of judged, whether they like it or not, on economic performance. My earliest conversations with Joe Biden about the economy come to mind. And we talked about the importance of middle class prosperity, of lower and middle income families getting ahead when the economy was growing. And very importantly these days, how are they doing with the challenge of inflation? And these are all of the things that um, keep me up at night and wake me up in the morning. Let's talk about diagnosis and prescription. When the pandemic hit, and there was this lockdown, two very important things happened. One was that people started spending less money on services. They were not going to restaurants. They weren't traveling. They weren't spending money on hotels. That meant that they could spend more money on goods. Mm -hmm. Now, at the same time, some of the relief plans helped uh, provide more resources to families to help get them through uh, this period. Now, all that spending on goods interacted with pandemic-induced supply chain snarl-ups. That meant getting goods through the ports from ship to shelf was going to be a challenge. That's where we're intervening, and I'll get into some of those interventions. But strong demand plus constrained supply equals elevated prices. And that's why we have a supply chain task force, of which I am a card-carrying member. And what this task force does is uh, we're looking at the most granular aspects of the supply chain and trying to unsnarl them so that these goods can flow through them um, speedier and get from shift to shelf uh, more quickly. We've helped move the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles, where 40% of our imports come through. We've helped to move them to a 24 and 7 uh, schedule. We've helped to reduce the dwell time. So 
you know, you and I have talked before. I don't think I've ever talked about dwell time more than I have in the past few months. Dwell time is how long a container sits in a port. That's down by about a third because of the work that we're doing with the uh, ports and you know, this kind of public-private partnership. In recent months, and correct me, Jared, if I'm wrong, you know I'm not an economist, but um, we have seen price pressures broaden a little bit to areas outside of um, sectors related to the pandemic and supply chain issues. So it, tell me if I'm you know, correct about that. And if so, how concerned are you about that? And do you see inflation getting worse in those sectors or in any sectors, really? I think you are absolutely right to raise this question of sectoral analysis when it comes to inflation. Um, but let me talk about some areas where there's a, a little bit of, of relief, and that's that's energy. You know, I click on Gas Buddy. I click on that, you know, try not to do it every five minutes. So retail gas prices are down about 10 cents over the past month. When you when you do that, Gas Buddy is like a consumer thing like for me to find the lowest prices for gas am i right about that or is it more of an economist tool no it's 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 just the national average gas prices although it has a bunch of different geographies got it you find the same thing if you look at AAA. that's like your go-to app in the morning yeah I, I, my point is that there's been some relief uh, on energy prices over the last few weeks yeah oil prices are down about 10 percent on average we expect to see some relief in the pump and in fact pump prices in 20 states are now lower than their 20-year average adjusted for inflation. So that's, you know, obviously one key important sector. Is there a sector that you're worried about, say housing? Housing is a really important sector. Uh, it has a very heavy weight in the CPI, 30 or 40 percent, depending on which flavor you're looking at. And uh, part of our broader agenda here having to do with racial equity means that we have to really take hold of the supply problems in the housing market, particularly the lower end of the housing market. And uh, that takes us right to uh, Building Back Better, which I hope we have time to talk about, because um, I worked very closely on this with our housing team. And uh, we have very ambitious plans in Build Back Better to improve not just the supply of housing, but the low end of housing supply. So that's that's key uh, in that space. I want to look back at the arc of the debate on this issue in 2021 and uh, how you see it from your perspective now. Um, Originally, the White House was very resistant to talking about any long-term trends and was very insistent that it was transitory. You and Larry Summers had a big dust-up about this famously. Um, Jay Powell and Janet Yellen have now said we should no longer use the word transitory to describe what's happening with inflation. Do you agree with that? And if so, or just in general, what word should we use? Well, in the early months of our administration, when these kinds of arguments were starting to surface, we were actually very clear that we thought that the rescue plan would generate some economic heat. Uh, But we were also clear that we believe that heat not equal to overheat. Mm -hmm. And yes, we emphasized uh, that um, these measures get into the economy. They do a lot of very important work, and then they get out. And so you can label it with whatever word you want, but I think the key fact is the one we've already talked about, which is that uh, clearly uh, prices are highly elevated, and that's a a real concern of our administration, but every uh, forecast you see uh, has them uh, considerably lower in the second half of next year. Now, we have to be 
absolutely prepared for those forecasts to be wrong. And, and the kinds of actions I just described on the supply chains are uh, very much where we want to be in that space. Uh, but that is the kind of temporal story of, of how, how we envision this. But here's the part that gets lost. The elevated inflation cannot be looked at in isolation as the only thing that has come out of the work of our administration, because that would be not just objectively and politically unfair, it would be um, a real mistake in terms of learning from our actions and their economic impact. The poverty rate in 2020 was lower than the poverty rate in 2019. Fair. There's a, a school of thought that when public officials talk about inflation or um, in any way exaggerate the threat of inflation or how long it's going to continue, that that itself changes people's psychology and, and it can have an inflationary effect itself. Now, you're, of course, a public official. You speak for the administration almost as much as anyone on, on the economy. Is that something that you are very conscious of? And is the research and understanding on that correct, that talking about it can make it worse? The research shows that people's views of inflation, their expectations are formed by a lot of different things. Um, and one of them is uh, what uh, people and the media and economists say. A very important one, though, and it's actually one I want to stress right here, is what the Federal Reserve does and says. So when it comes to setting inflationary expectations, that's the job of the Federal Reserve. What I think you know, we uh, are trying to do here, and I know what I'm trying to do when I talk to people like yourselves, is tell the American people just in as granular terms as we can, how we're helping on supply chains. When it comes to setting inflationary expectations, that's the, that's the role of the Federal Reserve. Let's talk about Build Back Better. It's run into an obstacle in the Senate because we all know there's one remaining Democratic senator who's not fully on board. And he really does seem convinced that passing this package, or at least at the size that it's at right now, will make inflation worse. I'm sure you've talked to Manchin, or at least you've communicated this from the White House. But what what is the what is your response to this argument? Let me answer your question. Actually, let's start with the longer term, and then we'll get to the near term. Over the longer term, meaning you know, once this thing ramps up, it will uh, increase and expand the economy's productive capacity. By which I mean. By standing up an accessible, affordable child and elder care sector, it will provide a pathway into the labor market for a lot of people that has never existed in this country in a sufficient uh, magnitude. Other advanced economies have affordable, accessible child and elder care sectors, and those economies have higher participation rates of the very people we're talking about. So we firmly believe we can increase the economy's, quote, supply side, its productive capacity over the longer term uh, through uh, building back better. And then, of course, the infrastructure plan uh, does some of the same things on the physical uh, capital side and in investing in, in, in public goods that have long faced just terrible disinvestment. This is the view of dozens of economists, including Nobel laureates who have written this down, even some of the folks who have criticized us on inflation. So over the longer term, it eases inflationary pressures. Over the near term, it, it doesn't put upward pressure on inflation. In fact, it eases some of the costs uh, that families face. Let me ask you one question about the president, because, Jared, you've now been a Biden advisor, um, you know, a, a long time. He, you know, he's got a lot of uh, people who've been, been with him a long time, but you have advised him on and off uh, since the beginning of the Obama years. True. So 
you're also an economist, and presidents famously throughout history get really frustrated with their economists. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, you said the question before I could get it, get it out. T tell me about it. <laughs> he's been around a long time, and uh, you know he's around long enough to deal with a completely new set of crazy circumstances. What is it like advising him as an economist? So let me tell you two things about it. Yeah. I'll tell you two things about it. First of all, uh, it's challenging in the following sense. He does not want to hear a lot of economic gobbledygook about, you know, models and forecasts and, uh, you know, 30,000 feet up observations. So I'm sitting home on a weekend. This again, when he was vice president, I was his chief economist. The phone rings. It's Joe Biden, who's in a hardware store in Scranton. And he says to me, Jared, there's a guy here who wants to understand how our credit card bill works. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. <laughs> we had actually legislated a bill that was going to take some of the fine print out of the credit cards and make it more understandable to people what they were signing up for. And so the banks were like, oh, this is going to make everything more expensive. And, you know, we knew that wasn't the case. And so some guy had come up to Biden and said, you know, this credit card bill is going to kill me. And Biden said, well, let me get my chief economist on the phone. And so he, he hands the phone to this guy and says, you know, explain, explain the bill to him, which I, which I did. And, you know, I think the guy was actually assuaged. And that's sort of classic what he's looking for from his, his economics uh, team. Very good. Well, great talking to you all and have a great day. All right. Thanks, Jared. Let's do it again soon, I hope. I would like that. Bye, Ryan. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. I was telling the story about my brother who is a hunter and he has a good paying job, but he was telling me he went out, he got a deer earlier this, uh, you know, this season. And he, he was out recently and he said, I saw, I saw another one and I, I wouldn't take a second deer, but I thought to myself, wow, meat wow. prices are really high right now. You know, I know that I can share it with people. And, and so he did. And he said, I never, ever thought about that. I'd never considered it. But this year I did. And I just feel like that's a small kind of window into how people are experiencing this and feeling it and thinking about it. And it's not great. If there is one person paying extremely close attention to Bernstein and to what the White House is doing to fight inflation, that's Kate Davidson. I'm a reporter and I write the morning money column here at Politico. Kate writes our Morning Money newsletter, which is closely followed by economic wonks like Bernstein. And she's an economist whisperer in her own right. I wanted to know, how is the Biden administration measuring up in the inflation fight? So Kate, the, the main economic story that uh, Jared Bernstein and the White House tells about inflation is that it's, it's driven by higher spending on goods versus lower spending on services that during the pandemic, you know, we were just all on Amazon and, and, and buying stuff. And you suggested to me to really push him on that and see what he thought about other sectors where we're seeing it uh, pop up now. 
I did, I did ask him that, about that, but he, I felt like he, he danced around it a little bit, really didn't want to emphasize any, you know, saying anything about new sectors that are experiencing inflation. What's your view on that? And what are other economists who don't, who aren't as constrained as, as a White House official um, worried about there? There are growing worries about inflation in the housing sector, shelter costs, because they make up such a large share of household budgets, but especially for people near the kind of the lower end of the income scale, you know, low income families, a big chunk of their paycheck goes toward shelter rent in particular. And so I think that the concern is that that could be sort of the next area where we're seeing bigger price increases. But I also think that the I think a lot of economists expect that these supply chain issues, you know, they won't be resolved very quickly. I have to say, I was thinking this morning as I was just driving home, like I, I haven't had any big delays on any of my Christmas gifts that I've ordered this year. You know, that's one person's anecdote. I don't know if that's because yeah, yeah. a lot of businesses have stocked up, if these efforts to ease these supply chain pressures are working that the White House is doing. Um, you know, I'm I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but the, the consensus among a lot of economists seems to be, you know, that it will take several more months, um, at least through the fir- probably the first half of next year. So I think we'll continue to see inflationary pressures there. But, um, you know, so it's so it's early days, I guess, as far as it's spreading to other areas. But um, I think that, right, I'm not surprised that they don't really want to, um, they don't really want to talk about that quite yet. So this inflation seems to be a result of the administration following a progressive policy to tackle unemployment as aggressively as possible. Was, do, do you think there was a scenario where they could have traded off slower growth in jobs and got lower inflation was that the kind of balance is that was that the was that the trade off there even if they might not put it that way I think yes. I mean, I think they certainly they could have. I mean, they could have. They were obviously that was the argument from the other side. That was like the that's the, at the heart of the sort of Summers Bernstein debate there. Right, right, and and so the the debate from a number of folks was that the economy just didn't need. All of that. That didn't mean that they didn't need any. It didn't mean that you didn't need to do any more pandemic relief, but that we didn't need to do as much. So extending jobless benefits, I think people thought that that made sense because there were still a lot of people out of work. But some folks said, do we really need to send another um, round of stimulus checks to people? So I think that they definitely didn't anticipate that their policies would drive inflation up as much as it has. So it's not as though they looked at this and thought that this was a likely scenario and decided to go ahead anyway. I mean, they definitely they definitely did not anticipate that. Um, and when people would raise this question of, of inflation, the response was, you know, we really don't think, we know there's going to be some inflation because prices really plummeted at the very beginning of the pandemic. So one year later, when you compare it to you know, prices a year earlier, it looks like they were much higher. But really part of it was prices coming back up to pre-pandemic levels. But their answer was, look, if we get inflation higher than than we expect or than, you know, we're, we're comfortable with, the Fed has the tools to deal with that. Let's talk about uh, Build Back Better a little bit. The administration has started talking about it as an inflation fighting package, or at least they've started to emphasize portions of it that will relieve the effects of inflation for for a lot of Americans. Two things about that is that is that argument credible? Um, is there a sort of you know this package that was obviously developed before inflation was an issue? 
Um, do they have a, a decent argument there? What's the what's the debate? And then two, politically, it's being attacked as something that could worsen inflation. Will it help? Will it hurt? No difference. Here's what they say. The package was not, it's not about inflation. It's about making these really big, important, and what people see as very necessary and long overdue uh, structural you know, investments. So I don't think uh, that that Jared Bernstein and others who are, are wrong when they say this will expand the you know supply side of the economy many years out. But there are certainly economists who think it, it's not going to make a really big difference one way or the other. Now, will they make inflation worse? I think that the the reason some people are saying that is because even though the plan is um, almost near, you know, almost totally paid for, the White House will say it definitely totally paid for if you kind of look at uh, closing the tax gap and certain things that aren't officially scored. But CBO says it will add, you know, a small amount to deficits over 10 years. That's not like an equal amount every year. So mm-hmm. the spending is going to be front loaded. That is, there'll be more spending in the beginning and more tax collection at the end. So that's kind of a tricky way of saying next huh. year there will be deficits. This will generate, you know, not a small deficit next year. And deficit spending could add to price pressures next year. Since there are international and private sector um, factors at play with solving the supply chain issue, what if Bernstein's approach doesn't work and can't lower inflation at that level? I really don't see what other tools are available to fiscal policymakers. There may, there, there may be some, and I'm sure they have a team working on it, trying to figure it out. There are progressive groups that just want them to hit companies harder on this. You know, corporate profits are actually really high right now. Really um, high. You know, yeah. We just yeah. got third quarter GDP numbers that showed that. And, um, and they want them to lean on these companies to not raise prices so much when, um, you know, when they're raking in profits. So I do think that if, uh, you know, if we're not seeing a lot of improvement next year, that, that, that is a, you know, that is a strategy that they could, that they could turn to is, um, you know, playing the blame game a little bit. I don't know how effective it will be, but it might deflect some of the blame from, you know, from, from fiscal policymakers. What's at stake here for Jared Bernstein, the Biden administration, just big picture. There's sort of the economic stakes and the political stakes, right? I mean, the political stakes, I think, are very clear. I think voters are not happy heading into next year. I think just a lot is riding on what happens with prices and just this narrative that the economy is bad. I mean, that's that's another thing you're seeing in sentiment data. It's just really kind of shocking when you have an unemployment rate this low, you have um, household savings so high, you have consumers going out and spending, and yet they feel like things are terrible. So that needs to turn around for the White House. And then economically, you know, the risk is just that we get into this inflation spiral. I think some people think part of that has to do with the White House. But at this point, it's kind of in the hands of of the Federal Reserve. And um, how quickly do they move? How do they respond to this? And are they able to kind of get things under control without triggering another recession? And that's all going to come down to what happens over the next the next few months, I'd say. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, if you need you know anything else anytime, just let me know. And that's our show. Our producers are Kara Tabor, Carlos Prieto, and our senior producer is Jenny Ament. Mike Zappler is Playbook's daily newsletter editor. 
Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you hear, follow, rate, and review us wherever you listen. I'm Ryan Lizza. We'll see you after the holidays. <laughs>